news, play breakdowns, power rankings, storylines you never hear talked about anywhere else. It's all straight shots here. Fired by straight shooters. S and Gun. This is the Objective Basketball Podcast. And welcome back to the Objective Basketball Podcast. Yes, the energy is up. Why do you think the the energy is up, ladies and gentlemen? Because I am two Red Bulls in because I have been moving all day, but also, also because we have Lauren Gunn back with us, which means the season has officially started. Yes, we did an episode on Monday. Yes, we talked NBA title races with a couple of the fellas that I know in the NBA, but we've got Lauren back. Lauren, how are you? I see... I see a Harry Styles poster in the background. I've been oh, listening yeah. to it. Yeah, I've mm. been listening to it uh, for a while because of the wifey. She's introduced me to that latest <laughs> album. You know, ha- mm-hmm. what's it called again? Harry's World? No, Harry's Room. <laughs> Harry's, Harry's Room. House. Harry's, Harry's House. Harry's House. Damn it. Damn uh, it. Sushi. You get points for listening. The sushi Sushi's song is good. tough. The sushi Sushi's song good, is right? tough. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, Harry Styles <laughs> has nothing to do with the NBA unless he is going to perform at the All-Star Weekend this year, but you should go listen to his music regardless. It's pretty fire. <laughs> Anyways, look, we're back. This, the Objective Basketball Podcast is back. For the people who do tap in regularly, your support means tons to us, so please go rate, review, do all the subscribing and liking that you guys can in order to keep this damn podcast alive. <laughs> you know, if you want to keep listening to it, you got to tap in and do all those things. Anyways, we're here to talk about five burning questions that Lauren and myself have about the NBA season. Opening night is on Tuesday. We have, it is fast approaching. And then once it starts, it starts, Lauren. We are off mm-hmm. to the races There's going to be tons of conversations about the rookie of the year, the MVP, who wins, who is a contender, who sucks, who should blow it up, all the regular things that every regular season has. Now, I'm going to open the floor to you because it has been a while, you know, dust off the cobwebs, if you will. Um, First burning question for me. Talk to me. What do we got? Yeah. So my first question is about the Philadelphia 76ers. I feel like it's only right that we start there, right? So my question and and the wording is is key here is is what is Philadelphia going to do here with this James Harden situation? Because it's not- You could have just ended it at what is Philadelphia? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's a great, honestly, right? Yeah, so I, I, it's, I think a lot of people are talking about what they should do or what they shouldn't do, but mm-hmm. everybody talks about Daryl Morey and how he is and how he, he plays certain situations. And so my, my burning question for you is what is going to happen here? Oh, man, your guess is as good as mine, honestly. <laughs> um, I mean, from, from the latest updates, it seems like, the Clippers and the Sixers are at least at, at trade discussion time. Right. Uh, and it seems like, you know, they're not meeting eye to eye personally, just, just going to get this out there. I think the whole idea that the Clippers aren't willing to include Terrence Mann in the deal is ridiculous. I've heard the conversations about, Oh, well, you have to pay James Harden a max. Oh, well, you have to give up two first round picks. Oh, well, you have to add salary on top of Terrence Mann in order to trade for James Harden. And all of that, in my opinion, is moot. The reason I say that is because James Harden uh, fits with that team perfectly. You do have the contract situations of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard as well. Those are things you have to focus on this summer. This is the last shot because realistically, if they get hurt again, if they don't make it to the second round or conference finals or dare I say a finals run, um, there's going to be tons of questions. They have an arena coming up. They need to have superstars to be able to have kind of going into that new arena. James Harden, despite, you know, his his age and where he's at in his career is still a superstar name. He's actually a hometown superstar name as well. So, you know, he's going to be able to fill seats. When I say James Harden makes tons of sense for the Clippers, I am without hesitation, without any hesitation, including Terrence Mann, including the two first round picks and including whatever salary is, is required in order to acquire James Harden. That's where mm-hmm. I'm at from the Clippers' perspective. From the Sixers' perspective, you look at that package, you look at the return, if that ends up being the thing, if, if it ends mm-hmm. up being Terrence Mann, two first, whatever. How do, you, how do you 
reconcile that with Joel Embiid. And on the other side of that is like, how much longer can you really continue to do this over and over again? Now, I understand they have max money in the summer. They have more than max money. I think they can have two max slots next year, depending on the Tyrese Maxey situation. That's good. You can maybe attract some free agents. You can maybe trade, you know, a big star into that slot as well. But it still kind of leaves me with questions. And I imagine Joel Embiid's patience is running thin. So to answer your question, what is the Philadelphia 76ers? What are they going to do? No clue, but the time is running out. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm I, I'm with you there. I think it's an interesting situation where we're in yet another situation where there's two teams. There's a very clear package on the table. Everyone's sort of expecting this one scenario to come to fruition. And right. and one thing that I, I want to know, I'm, obviously this has been widely reported, but it's not just going to be James Harden necessarily going to the Clippers. You might get a PJ Tucker in there as well. You might get a, a Daniel House. And, and for the Clippers, yeah, it's a risk taking on James Harden. But for all the reasons you pointed out, it's something that they absolutely need to do. And so I think it's it's going to be a really interesting situation to follow. But I also won't be surprised if it kind of time kind of keeps going on. The clock is ticking and something else maybe jumps out and it does turn into a multi-team trade or something else does happen. I, I would say the Clippers obviously still make the most sense and will probably be what happens. But I'm very curious to see if we start to see any other situation gain any sort of traction. Yeah, no, that's fair. And I think ultimately what Daryl Morey is waiting for is to see, you know, 20 games into the season, 25 games into the season, which team starts to get desperate, right? Yeah. If the Miami Heat start off 10 and 15 or something, I don't know. You know what I mean? If Mm -hmm. they, if they're kind of sluggish out the gate and they obviously struck out on Damian Lillard, they lost out Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, maybe there's, there's something there, right? Yeah. I've I've always been intrigued by that fit. Um, I can't really think of another team that might be able to go out and go for James Harden. But that being said, the longer Maury waits, the list of things that is available will also expand. Obviously, we know December 15th, a bunch of contracts that were signed this summer are able to be traded. January 15th, a bunch of contracts that were signed this summer will be able to be traded. So the longer they wait, the more options will be available to them. And maybe it isn't the Clippers. We just saw that with the Miami Heat. When there is just one desired destination, there's always going to be another team that sort of swoops right in and ruins these quote-unquote sweepstakes. So <laughs> right. I don't know. I, I, it's probably not over yet. Uh, we're prob- I mean, we're kind of nearing the points of no return. Uh, but I think that's what's going to be really interesting. I believe their first game is on Wednesday night. How that looks. Is James Harden really going to suit up for Nick Nurse and crew? I have no idea. How does Nick Nurse de- deal with all this uh, is also going to be hilarious because he's not a coach that is willing to kind of pull back his shots. He is he's mm-hmm. very, very willing to to kind of take shots if he needs to. <laughs> um, okay, I have another burning question throwing it your okay. way. Let's hear it. Can the experiment in Houston work? And that is ultimately my main question, because when you look at the Houston Rockets, they obviously mm-hmm. added Fred Van Vliet, They added Dylan Brooks. They're looking for the development of Jalen Green, Jabari Smith Jr., Alperin Schengen, maybe Cam Whitmore, obviously Amen Thompson, who they drafted. They're looking to develop these guys while also maybe potentially trying to win a little bit more than they did last year. Actually, there's no question about that. They went out and spent a lot of money. They hired a new head coach in order to change this program around. So my question is, you have a head coach that was mirrored in controversy last year. You have two players who shot below 40% from the field in Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks last season. You have Mm -hmm. players in Jalen Green, Alperin Schengen, Jabari Smith Jr., Amen Thompson, who need touches. And now you have to slot in touches for Fred, for Dylan Brooks, for Amen. How is that mixture of players, how is that mixture of older guys who are ready to win now and younger guys who clearly need time to get through things, how in the world is that going to work? Yeah, no, it's it's a great question. I think I I don't know that it, I guess it all comes down to how do you d- define what works and what a success would be for the Houston Rockets. And so for them, I do think that you've got a hand well, maybe not a handful, but you've got a few guys that just entered that situation, just got 
paid, like paid, paid. And so there's going to be yeah. that sort of energy brought about to sort of add to the young energy of the guys who like Jalen Green, Jabari Smith, who looked pretty solid in preseason and Alperin Chain Goon specifically, who is expected to kind of take a bit of a leap this year, kind of start to take that jump forward. And so with that, I guess, core starting like that, that that's core of the starting five. I think that fifth guy is going to be where things kind of get a little interesting throughout the year. Um, I think that group, there's some clear flaws there in terms of experience and talent alone. I do think that they're going to find success with seeing improvement from last year. And so mm -hmm. if that's enough for them to try and just build some continuity with a different identity, a different leader, then sure, maybe they'll be happy with how the year goes. In terms of long-term, how does this group fit together? That's where I have big questions because you mentioned the shooting, but even the log jam of, of Jay, Jay Sean Tate, who probably a little low on their priority list, but a really solid player. Yeah. Um, he's somebody that's probably going to eventually find his way out, similar to the way Kenyon Martin Jr. did, another solid young player. And so for, for the Rockets, I think it's going to be about finding that right formula of how to balance the young development while giving the guys who you really need to start to take that those steps forward, giving them the touches, giving them the opportunity and I think that's going to be a big challenge for someone like Ime Udoka when you have someone like Dylan Brooks in that formula. I think that that's a lot to juggle. Uh, but I think having someone like Fred Van Fleet, who has a lot of experience, is something that's going to bode really well for them as far as how it's all going to fit on a consistent night-to-night -night basis. I have big-time questions, but I do think from the standpoint of this season, I think they will find success in comparison to the season before and feel that they are starting to really build a foundation. But I think that there are some big questions there. So here's how I think it wouldn't work. The mm -hmm. way it's kind of currently constructed, Fred Van Vliet decides to take a bulk of the touches. Dylan Brooks, uh, his shot selection is weary to say the least. And if those guys kind of call their number a little bit too much, without focusing on the Jalen Greens, without focusing on Jabari Smith Jr., Alper, and Schengen, then they will most likely, I think, fail. The way this works is if Fred is willing to sacrifice his on-ball role a little bit to be more of an off-ball player. He has been in the past. He's been able to do that on good teams. I think mm -hmm. that's a, 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 a spot that he can thrive in. And when you think of Schengen's playmaking, especially in delay actions, the way that he can find cutters and find shooters, it makes sense for him to have some of those on-ball responsibilities. I think the same thing can be said about Jalen Green, who definitely needs to grow as a playmaker. But, you know, putting him to more pick-and-roll situations, giving him the ball mm -hmm. in his hands as a scorer, and having Fred off of the ball could potentially work. Now you have the secondary guys, the tertiary guys, in, in the Jabari Smith Jr., in the Amen Thompson, in the Jay Sean Tate that can maybe slot in in different positions. Tari Eason, another guy that they are mm. in love with. I think he's great, but yeah. he's more of a complimentary player right now you slot in those guys in different lineups and I think the other thing is they're a very unique defensive group I think they mm -hmm. have a chance to be very good defensively I don't want to jump too ahead of myself and say like they'll yeah. be like a top 10 defense but compared to you know they were 28th 29th last year I could see them getting to middle of the pack just because yeah. of Fred at the point of attack Dylan Brooks at the point of attack you know that Jabari Smith Jr. is expanding as a defensive player as well. T Tar Eason, who I mentioned, a very good defender. Mm -hmm. Amen Thompson, even as a rookie, he's just like athletic and massive. So that's going to be a positive on that end. Jay Sean Tate can defend for himself. The question marks as defenders are Shangun and Jalen Green, but they have ways to isolate and insulate that. So ultimately, mm -hmm. I think there are a lot of pathways for this team to be successful. But there is the doomsday scenario as well. And I think that's a scary, scary thought to have when you have this group together. That being said, they're not doomed because, you know, they have a bunch of draft picks. They have the young guys still on the roster. But ultimately, yeah. it kind of like there is that potential there, which makes them one of the more burning questions for me. Throwing it back to you. Yeah. Give me a burning question. Well, a team that may be headed towards doomsday in my opinion maybe sooner than some people want to talk about is the cleveland cavaliers Ooh. and this this year i my my question and you can take it whatever direction you want is what is the direction here because for wow. me i'm sitting here looking at and and the short term phenomenal job addressing the shooting need however right. most people don't expect donovan mitchell to sign this extension 
And to me, this is the year of is the double big man philosophy going to work in Cleveland? So for me, two very big fundamental questions of that core moving forward. How do you think they solve it? Man, I did not see that coming. I did not see that question coming. You threw a curveball. I had no idea. See, <laughs> I, okay, so to be fair, I think the Cavs are going to be awesome in the regular season. I think mm-hmm. the additions of Struess and Niang complement them very well. The movement shooting, yes. it's exactly what they needed in the postseason. It's exactly what they needed in the regular season. They were too one-track minded with Garland and Mitchell and creating it. Just It was all kind of forced onto them to do everything. And I think ultimately it'll look a lot better on offense this year. They were already a top defense. I think they were the best defense in the, year, in the league mm-hmm. last year. They're still going to continue to do that with Mobley and Allen as their front court. So I think they're going to win a lot of regular season games. I wouldn't be surprised if Cleveland is the number one seed in the East this year. I think they could win 60 games. I really do. I think they, wow, you know, I like, like it. they kind of give me, I don't want to say Atlanta Hawks vibes because mm-hmm. they're not. I think they're much more talented than that 2014, 2015 Atlanta Hawks team. But in the same sense that really good young team that kind of maybe overshoots its expectations in the regular season, wins 55, 56, 57, 58 games, and wins the Mm -hmm. Eastern Conference, but maybe still has some playoff questions. And to your point, maybe that's where you have the Mitchell situation pop up a little bit more. If they don't get past the first round, if they don't get, you know, maybe have a, a frisky second round against the Celtics or the Bucks, then I think there's a lot of questions that have to be asked. One, the the actually the thing that kind of jumps out to me with the Cavs is JB Bickerstaff, right? Because oh yeah, interesting, right? So yeah, I, I agree. feel like he might be he might be on the hot seat a little bit, um, and ultimately they they can you know the the way NBA teams work is hey if something's not working let's blame it all on the coach, <laughs> you know let's blame it <laughs> reset the deck yeah reset it you know let's let's start over let's just do everything new. And I think there's a world in which you can sell Donovan Mitchell, you can sell Jared Allen, you can sell Evan Mobley on the fact that, hey, it was the coach. Let's go out and get you guys a new coach and let's try this again next year. Um, And in terms of Mitchell and the contract negotiations, makes sense for him not to sign this extension right now. He he would just be able to get more money uh, later on. Yeah, it's a concern. There's no question. But I also think it's a concern that could be alleviated if Garland, if Mobley are expected to reach the heights that they can. And the double big stuff, I think it's not a question for this year. I think it's a question for next year where has Mobley taken that step offensively enough to be the five? Has he, because he got bullied a little bit in that first round series against the Knicks. Can Mm -hmm. he deal with the the big bodies inside as the primary, you know, set starting center for you? Those are the questions that he has to answer over the next year, year and a half. And if he can, then you can say, hey, Jared Allen is our best trade piece. Let's go out and get that star wing, you know, but I I don't think we're there yet. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, I, I think last year, how things went against the Knicks for Cleveland, I do think in a way sort of expedited it my like the sense of urgency from where right. I'm sitting. And so I'm very curious how this season looks for them and how Don, I think that there are people out there that think there's no way Donovan Mitchell resigns with Cleveland. And so for me, I'm going to be closely watching. Does it look like there's tension? Is it more directed at JB? Like you said, or where do we think that this season is going to go? Cause I'm with you. I think they could have a really solid regular season. Um, but I think the playoffs could get real interesting real quick. And in terms of who might come available around the corner. I think he's definitely a name to watch. It's interesting. It definitely is. And I mean, I think the Cavs with the young guys that they have to add to Jared Allen, potentially, like if they did want to go out and package it to get a real star, I don't think they would ever do this, but just the idea of potentially including Mobley or Mitchell, or sorry, or Garland into that deal to pair with Mitchell, something that's really intriguing. Um, yeah, I'm with you. Love the question. Love the sense of urgency in Cleveland. I think a lot of fans are starting to feel that as well. Got a question for you though. Okay. Yep. And this is this is a really bare bones question, to be honest with okay. you. How healthy will Anthony Davis and LeBron James be this season? That is just the 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 crux of the question here. I'll go through it really quickly. Anthony Davis, the last since he's been a Laker. Let's just go since he's been a Laker. Their championship okay. season, he won, he played 62 games. The year after that, 36. The year after that, 40. 
And last year he played in 56 games. LeBron James, since he's been a Laker, um, 55 games, 67 games in their championship year, 45 games, 56 games, and 55 games. Any time that they have played more than 60 games, <laughs> the Lakers have won an NBA championship. Um, so, so I guess I'm saying I'm kind of phrasing it in this sense. Look, the Lakers mm -hmm. are much more deep than they were last year. I think yes. they're more well-equipped to insulate and, and kind of deal with the injuries of LeBron and AD a little bit more than they were over the last few years. That being said, the ceiling of this team is going to be determined by how healthy this, this, these two stay. And, mm -hmm. you know, LeBron obviously entering year 21. Anthony Davis has his injury history. How much are they going to play him at center versus power forward? There's always that question. I'm just kind of curious if these two will stay healthy, how much they end up maybe managing their minutes. I know they can't rest them because of the whole player participation right. stuff, but how much do they manage their minutes? And maybe like one night you see them play 20, you know, one night you see them right. play 20 minutes and just call it a night. I'm very curious to see how the Lakers manage that, especially because, you know, floor wise, this Lakers team can be really good. You have Austin Reeves, D'Angelo Russell, et cetera, but the ceiling mm -hmm it will be determined by LeBron and AD. So how healthy do you think that those two will stay? Yeah, I think talking about like the the minutes restriction, I hate to put it in those terms. I don't want to say they're going to be on a minutes restriction from day one, but I think just being overall cognizant of how many miles those, those two have logged throughout the season is going yeah. to need to be a point of emphasis for the Lakers because in terms of, their off-season additions and even the guys that they were able to retain, Austin Reeves being a big one, I think that this group is more equipped to, I don't want to say survive stretches without LeBron or AD, but they just are more well-rounded and they they have more depth. And so for them, I think being able to rely on other people to step up and, and fill the gaps from either a scoring standpoint or a defensive standpoint or even just a physical size presence standpoint. They're more equipped to do that, which is going to give them more luxury to kind of lean on those resources and also allow other guys to rest, which I, I know obviously the NBA and fans don't want to necessarily hear that. But I think yeah. that in order to get that championship, that has to be their path forward. So I don't, I like the way you put it about the minutes. I think it will have more to do with minutes in the regular season as opposed to necessarily games played even with the rules on like with the awards and 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 the i i mean i can't even recall all the specific requirements in terms of uh games played to, to like to all meet nba certain, and all that yeah yeah i i don't remember those exact numbers but i don't think that that is at all going to be on the minds of the lakers i think it's going to be title or bust as it should be which makes sense um and so for them i think being strategic with those minutes on the back-to-backs, on who who the matchups are even against uh, is going to be huge for them because strategically playing this to where they're ready to go and they're not just exhausted by the time the playoffs roll around. Right. I mean, I, th I think they're equipped to be title contenders. And so worrying about a play-in situation or having to play extra games or anything that could result in them being more at risk is going to be something that they're going to try and avoid while giving them enough minutes and enough time to rest and stay healthy because this is a big year for them in terms of another year older, another, like, you know what I mean? And so I think for yeah. them looking at, I, I guess in terms of games played, I have no idea what to expect. And for, you know, you just never know when something is going to happen, God forbid. And so it's something that I'm going to be keeping my eye on, but for the Lakers, they're going to need those two. And so I'm kind of going to be holding on tight because they have the team, they have the group, but some things are just out of your control. So the two guys that kind of jump to mind uh, that will help this track along, uh, number one is Austin Reeves, because how good he is. I think last year, especially when LeBron James came back, you saw him take a more on-ball role. He was assuming a lot of the on-ball responsibilities that LeBron usually would. And if you're resting LeBron, if you're reducing his minutes, et cetera, et cetera, a lot of that role, a lot of that load is going to be on Austin Reeves, on D'Angelo Russell, on Gabe Vincent. Uh, those three are really important for that reason. You look at the front court and what they did, uh, adding Christian Wood, adding Jackson Hayes, just getting guys, big bodies that they can kind of use throughout the season. Uh, and I think that's really important as well. I think Jackson Hayes is a guy who's going to be able to play real minutes for them. I, obviously, Christian Wood, you, you saw the whole experience in Dallas last year. He mm -hmm. has his warts as a player, but 
ultimately like he's going to be able to play games for you during the regular season. Um, so those are the, those are the guys that kind of pop into mind when I say, okay, how does this team deal with maybe resting LeBron and AD? And Hey, that's the question, you know, how is this team going to be able to survive and potentially thrive? Because I really do think this Lakers team is good. Like they looked very, very I good in too. the preseason. Uh, their roster is built deep and it's ready to be able to take some bumps if, if they happen in the regular season. Uh, and I'm kind of expecting it to be honest with you. So mm -hmm. we'll, we'll see, we'll see, but give me, give me your, uh, what is this third question? I think third question. Yeah. Yeah. I think your... we're on three. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. My next question is kicking it back over to the East. Mm -hmm. How does Miami get back into title contention? Unless you think they're, <laughs> unless you think they're there, you may think they're there, but. Okay. I will make the case for them being there. Let's hear I, it. Because, because I think like, okay. Last year, what did they win? 44 games. I can't even remember what they won. They, they, they did mm -hmm. not win a lot of games. They were obviously a play in team. They almost were eliminated by the Chicago Bulls <laughs> in the play in game. They won 44. Yes, they won 44, 44 yep. games last year. Um, I, I just don't think this team really cares about the regular season in any real way. I had Fair. Jimmy Butler on my fantasy team last year. He is one of the most infuriating players to have on a fantasy team because he's, He's constantly missing uh, at least two games a week, whether it be for a nagging injury, whether it be for rest, et cetera. They do not care about all NBA at all, really, in my opinion. Uh, same thing applies to Bam Adebayo in the sense that like, he's actually been a really healthy player for them, but mm. he's not going to be the, he's going to be a good floor raiser for you, but he's not a ceiling raiser in a regular season in the sense that he's going to elevate this to a 50 or 60 win team. He's going to be able to keep you at float at a 44, 45 win pace. Then you're asking the other guys, obviously they get Tyler Hero back healthy. That's going to help them a lot. I think you're expecting some sort of like, is the playoff performance from Caleb Martin real? Even if it's 75% real, right? I think that's a pretty useful I mean, player. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, the Duncan Robinson resurgence, if that is even 75% real, I think that, you know, your, your Max Struess problem sort of goes away there. Uh, and then, you know, from, from the other stuff, you know, obviously heat fans and they're very passionate, love you guys. But at the same time, you know, you're hoping Nikola Jovic can play minutes for you. You're hoping Haywood Highsmith, who was impressive in the playoffs last mm -hmm. year, as well as a defender can slot in for some rotation minutes for you. They really like that Hame Hakez kid. I, I can sell myself on the idea that heat culture persists and the fact that they are able to scrounge up these guys to win 40 to 45 win games throughout an 82 game regular season. And then in the playoffs, I just don't care. You're always scared to play this team. It, that's yes, just the I matter of fact. That. Let's say we were just talking about Cleveland right now, right? Let's yep. say Cleveland is second or first in the Eastern Conference and the Heat end up getting them in the first round. I mean, I I would not be shocked at all if the Miami Heat were to win that series. And then look, once again, we're looking at a Celtics Heat <laughs> series in the in the semifinals or a Bucks Heat series in the semifinals. And the Heat have beat both of those teams in the last three or four seasons. I know they look different. Those teams now look very different. I understand that. But at the same time, I just trust Eric Spolstra, playoff Jimmy, and Bam Adebayo enough to say that they are contenders. Fair. To be fair, I can hear the conversation. This is me being very optimistic. Glass half full, mm -hmm. right? I can hear right. the arguments that they're not. What, what are your arguments for the fact that they're not, I guess, is my question. I think I like their young guys. I really do. I think it's, you're again, once again, putting a, a lot, a high expectation on them to perform. And I, yeah. I mean, I do think that they're capable of doing it, but it, I think that they're, they're kind of, they're your depth and they're your swing guys. And so you're also banking on there being no awkwardness, long-term animosity from Tyler Hero. And there may not be, but I do think that there's a little potential for a little friction, but at the same time, it's heat culture. We've all heard the stories of how serious it is, everyone being <laughs> on the same page. So it's it's the type of thing that you can't necessarily pinpoint an expectation on. Um, right. But I just have, I, for me, I do think it's a lot more about the elevation of the other teams at the top of the East and how they've managed to separate themselves. And so for me, 
it's not as much because if you think back to last year's playoffs and, and obviously how unbelievable Miami was, but the fact that they did almost all of it without Tyler hero. And now they right. have Tyler hero back after another off season, after more development, like that's an interesting kind of thing to, to consider. And so I don't think you can necessarily count them out. I just look at how the other teams have loaded up to a degree that I didn't necessarily expect to happen. And so um, I worry about that for Miami, especially with them losing Max Struess um, and um, Gabe Vincent. Those are two big right. hits for them. And so I'm, I, I think that that's that's kind of where I get back to. Yeah, no, I, I, I hear it. I, I think there are very genuine concerns and. Again, like I even said when we were talking about the Harden stuff, maybe they start out slow. Maybe they struggle. Maybe there's a moment there where they do revisit or visit the James Harden talks, or maybe there's someone yeah, else out there that could be interesting. I don't know. I, I I could see it. There is, a, again, sort of like Houston, there's a world where this is a disaster scenario, but I'm sort of relying on the infrastructure that already exists in Miami to kind of blaze through that. In a lot of ways, no pun intended, Portland Trailblazers, <laughs> Joe Cronin. Uh, but, but seriously, I, I'm hoping, I, I believe in heat culture, ladies and gentlemen. It's, it's crazy. I, I wasn't ever really a skeptic, but I think we saw it in this finals run. Just the fact that they have an utmost amount of belief in themselves. Jimmy Butler carries himself like that. Bam Adebayo carries himself like that. Spo carries himself like that. And I kind of just believe in those three in a major way. Yeah. For the, it, I can't doubt them. You know what I mean? Okay. Good question. I got a question for you. Okay. How good is the Oklahoma city thunder? Are the Oklahoma city thunder going to be this year? Um, they, they were a very good team last year. They were, I think they were 40 and 42, right? They're over or under yep. win total is I believe at like 44 and a half. So they're expecting a little bit of a jump. Um, mm -hmm. they obviously are throwing Chet Holmgren in there. I'm working on a piece right now on Chet Holmgren and his defense, probably going to be out next week at some point. Mm -hmm. Um, and obviously they have Shea Gilgis Alexander. They're expe expecting a, a jump from J dub Jalen Williams, Josh Giddy could potentially make a jump. They have Lou Dort, their defensive weapon, some rotation pieces and Isaiah Joe and Trey Mann and Usman Diang, et cetera, et cetera. There's a way for this team to be really, really good. How good exactly are we talking here, though, Lauren? Where are you on the Oklahoma City Thunder? Gosh. I mean, the West is, I mean, we always yeah. hear it. Such a, a gauntlet, a bloodbath, all the things. Um, I could talk myself into them being better. I mean, with what we saw from Shea last year and what we, even this summer, what we saw from him, I really do think that they could surprise some people in terms of, not even worrying about the play in being right. a few, a few notches above that. I don't think I can put them top three, even maybe top four, I think, but I think that they're scary deep. I'm very high on Chet Holmgren. Like I, I've bought Same, all the buddy. stock. Same. I think yeah. he is going to be phenomenal. And I think we're going to see another good year from Shea. And I think Josh Giddy is continuing to improve on the areas that he gets the most criticism for in terms of being not, he's not one dimensional at all, but in terms of having big weaknesses, I think we're seeing the kind of incremental improvement in his game in those areas. And so uh, I think that they're also going to have options to potentially switch some things up for midseason acquisitions if they need to address certain needs. I think they have lots of roster flexibility, but in terms of talent and what they're going to bring to the table on day one, I think that they're hungry. I think that they're ready. And one thing that when I'm watching Chet Holmgren and why I've, I've bought in so much on OKC is we know what his skill set is, but he goes out and he takes he takes his looks. He takes the game into his own hands. He's not waiting yeah. for it to come to him. He's not waiting to get set up or plays to be called for him. He's so aggressive, and that says a lot for a guy who was out his entire rookie year. And so I am very high on them, and I really do think that a couple of these teams that we've talked about even already, but that have maybe some older players, they're a couple of injuries away from just sliding right past some of these people under the radar. So I think they're a yeah. team that you wouldn't necessarily want to underestimate come playoff time um, and that they can make a lot of noise in the regular season. So I'd say ceiling... Let me go back and look at this. I don't want to get too crazy. I'm going to say ceiling. I really do think a couple of injuries away from ceiling being the fourth seed. Okay. I, I mean, I like that. I'll take that. 
totally fine with me. Not like I think I think that's that's something that's like, yeah, let's yeah, look. okay. so just to go through it, Denver is a lock as a playoff team. I think Mm -hmm. Phoenix is a lock as a playoff team. I think the Lakers are a lock as a playoff team. I would go ahead and say the Warriors are a lock as a playoff team as well. That's four spots secured, right? Then you're getting into Memphis, who hasn't had a under 50 win season in a while. Uh, Mm -hmm. You're looking at the Kings, who just came up. And I could see, by the way, I was going to say that's probably my ceiling for this Oklahoma City Thunder team. I could see them having a a really exciting 3C type of season where they are the talk of the entire year. Yeah. You know, instead of lighting the beam, we're we're chanting Thunderstruck or whatever. Um, (laughs) And 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 like they have a really impressive regular season. It ends in a bloodbath of a first round series. And we're all saying this is going to be a great future. Hell yeah, Oklahoma City basketball is back. That's sort of the ceiling I could see yeah. for this team. The floor is like, yeah, you're looking at a playing team. Uh, and there's like, there's like, other than San Antonio and Portland, you could argue every single other team in the West is trying to win and is trying to compete for a playoff spot right now. Uh, don't tell mm-hmm. Victor Wembanyama that because he clearly seems like he wants to compete right now. But ultimately, Portland and San Antonio are the only two themes, teams that I think, yeah, you know what? You're not going to be competitive. But the rest of the West is absolutely insane. And like you said, uh, injuries shake things up in a major way. The Zion Williamson question in New Orleans is always going to be a big one. That was sort of a burning question I had, but I didn't want to include because how how many times are we going to talk about Zion Williamson <laughs> and his injury stuff? Um, right. You know, that that could shake things up in a major way. Minnesota was so injured last year with Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert and, you know, adding Mike Conley to the mix. Like maybe they take a huge leap this season. Right. Mm -hmm. Dallas last year was I mean, there was a lot going on in (laughs) Dallas last year. But like ultimately, um, hey, maybe everything works. Everything is just completely corrected for a full season of Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic and they just blast onto the scene or they're just not good enough outside of those guys and you know they could potentially be in that final playing spot or what there's just so many you know variables to the Western Conference that like it's a fool's errand even trying to predict the West ultimately I think Oklahoma City is going to be very good I think people I don't think they'll be surprised by them but I do think there's an opportunity here for them to really seize the season and make, you know, kind of put their stamp on it and be like, this is the season that we've broke out, if you will. Um, right. throw, throw out another question for me. This is number four for you. Yep. I, uh, okay, this one, and we, we started to touch on it a little bit earlier, but with the Los Angeles Clippers, assuming they don't get James Harden, mm-hmm. is this the final year of the Kawhi PG core? Yes. Yes. No I doubt. I can, I can say, yeah, 100%. No question. Uh, okay. I just... I think from their perspective, uh, you look at Paul George, who's I think around 34, 35 years old, Kawhi Leonard, who's around that age as well. Um, They're looking for big money. They're looking for contract extensions. And I'm kind of curious to see if the Clippers will actually double down on that and say, hey, we'll give you those max extensions. Even though they've been injured, they haven't been able to play in games, specifically in Kawhi's case, but also in Paul George's case. So I think... Mm -hmm. It would take some serious convincing for me to say the Clippers will look the same next year if they don't reach some sort of manageable goal. And a manageable goal, okay. like what would that be? Like what is what is a manageable goal for the Clippers this year? That's um, where I come round? back to. You know, like second round, Western Conference Finals. Like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's really even tangible for this team unless they go out and trade trade for James Harden and like, hey, we're back at square one here of how does this team look? So I I don't know. I agree with you. I think there's a lot of pressure on the Clippers. I think among the conversations I've had with people, people don't think there is as much pressure because they've sort of seen what this team is and know that they're not going to be healthy and something's going to kind of (laughs) shake out that way regardless. But I still feel like there's an immense amount of pressure because of the arena and because of the fact that they can't, they can't go into that arena saying, hey, we've got Terrence Mann. Come and watch. <laughs> yeah, that's a really big you know? factor in all this, 100%. So I, I just, yeah, I think like the James Harden trade, is, it just makes so much sense. I don't understand why we're, what are we even doing here? I, I just, 
I don't get it. Go back to the to our conversation at the beginning of this and and listen to it again if you need to be <laughs> more convinced. Um, yeah, that's that's where I'm at with the Clippers. Are we are we yeah. good in Clippers land? Yes. Yeah, I think that I think that takes care of it. <laughs> okay, I have I have a final question here. I actually have I have two more questions. Um, is Phoenix's offensive identity enough? Okay, they they have Devin Booker. They have Bradley Beal. Mm-hmm. They have Kevin Durant. Two, inc- three incredible shot makers. Some of the best in the league. Some of the best mid-range scorers. Guys who can stretch the floor, et cetera, et cetera. They're, I, from, from what uh, the coach was saying, uh, Frank Vogel, that they're going to try to expand the court even more. Devin Booker is going to shoot mm-hmm. more threes. Kevin Durant's going to shoot more threes. Bradley Beal is going to shoot more threes. They have a lot of three-point shooting around those guys. In U- Utah Watanabe, in Eric Gordon. I can see them being an incredible shooting team, right? Mm-hmm. None of those guys get to the rim in any sort of way. And when that happens, when you essentially remove the rim, like rim attempts from the mm-hmm. equation, it becomes so much easier to guard you. It becomes a lot mm-hmm. easier to defend any type of action that you're running, whether it's pick and roll, whether it's dribble handoff, whether it's these side screens, back screens, whatever. It becomes much easier to defend those actions when teams aren't expecting you to get to the rim at will. And I sort of, I don't think that'll be a problem in the regular season. I think they will kill Mm -hmm. teams in the regular season. I think they will score 130 points, you know, almost every night. (laughs) They will dominate on that end. But when it gets to the playoff time, when they're going to play bigger teams like the Los Angeles Lakers, when they Mm -hmm. have to face Draymond Green and Kevon Looney, when they have to face, uh, you know, Nikola Jokic even and the Denver Nuggets, that is a question now. How are you going to get easy shots at the basket? And that's that's sort of my question overall for this team. And I need mm-hmm. to see how it looks through an 82-game season. How creative are they going to be to get to the basket, to kind of change the geometry of the court to make it easier for their scorers to actually score? And I have that question for Boston too, by the way. I could have made this a, a two-fold a question double, and said yeah. Boston and Phoenix, but I'll leave it at Phoenix right now because I, I kind of trust Boston's infra- infrastructure a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. I. Yeah. Quick note. I. I also trust their their infrastructure, but also their like their variety a little bit more. Sure. Um, yeah. I have. I do have concerns with, uh, honestly, on both sides of the ball for Phoenix. I think that they made really solid additions around their trio. Uh, my biggest thing comes back to Nurkic, who I like him. I don't think. It's gonna. I don't think it's gonna work out. I I I just don't see it. I don't see the health, even the contract. I think is a problem. I think his spot as the starting big man. I have big questions about. And I know Drew Eubanks is solid role guy. He will do what you need him to do. But again, I don't think that that's necessarily up to par to where they need it to be. And so mm-hmm. I have questions there. And then the ball handling side of the things, especially in a playoff environment, I think they're gonna be intriguing and i think having this bradley beal everybody with their not just the one-on-one situations but how they're currently planning to approach things i think it can work and there's so much talent that it probably will work but i do have concerns with the lack of ball handling and facilitation and true point guard depth on the roster between that and the big man concerns i think that they're lucky that the trio that they have is as talented. Lucky's the wrong word. The trio being that talented is what I think is give, gives them a lot of flexibility and wiggle room. But I think during the regular season, around December 15th, around trade deadline time, is when some second round picks or something is going to need to get sort of worked out because I don't think back to, I, I think they're going to go from obviously more than one title over multiple years. And I think that right now, while they really did a solid job building out the depth with, with the op, the options that they had in terms of the ball handling and the big man depth, that's the, I mean, I know some people are, uh, yeah. are fine with the big man depth. I am not. And so I yeah. think that that's where they're kind of, kind of get exposed in a playoff setting. I'm with you that in the regular season, with the matchup changing from night to night, they're going to have no problem. They're going to but come, yes. but come playoff time, especially what you were saying with the bigger bodies, you you hope everyone's healthy, and if they're not, then what? You know, and I think that's right. where they could run into some problems. I think overall, uh, like I, I've heard this argument 
you know, some people are like, uh, I, you know, oh, well, they have Kevin Durant, Bradley Beal, and Devin Booker. That's much harder to stop on on offense. And I, I mean, I completely agree. I, I do. Right. It, it's still going to be very hard for defenses to stop that team. It doesn't matter what the rim protection stuff is, what the mid-range scoring, how, how, how many shots they're allowing at the paint, whatever. None of that is going to matter because you have three guys who are just tacticians as scorers. And again, in the regular season, that's not going to be a problem whatsoever. But when it comes to the playoffs, when it's a seven-game series, things start to shrink a little bit. The court starts to shrink. You know, like that's just a genuine thing that happens most of the time. And yeah, that's mm-hmm. where my question is. That's mostly where my question is about this team, uh, how their offensive identity kind of forms over this next 82 games and how that looks going into the playoffs, which they will no doubt be a part of. You know what I mean? Right. For sure. For sure. All right. Uh, final question for you. This is my, yeah, this is my final one. Okay. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't do the first pod of the season without having bringing up the Dallas Mavericks. I, just I mean, I, I, I'm glad you, you left it less, to the right? last because I have a Raptors question that I left. To the oh, last perfect. So there you go. There you go. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. My question for you is what is the next move for Dallas in terms mm. of player, player, acquisition type moves because it looks like they're going to go with Derek Lively at the five, which I'm good with. I'm okay with that, but that's high expectations and they're going to take the good with the bad. And so you're kind of setting yourself up this year to take the good with the bad and have this sort of development trial and error type season, not type season, but with him specifically. And with that being the number one role that they needed to fill What's next? Because I think just about everyone is saying they're not ready to win a title. So what do they do? That's a good question. I've been thinking about, I I mean, I thought about that when I did the season preview, it's like, can this team really Mm -hmm. be a contender? And I think my answer was no, I I think they can be a very good playoff team. They are going to put the the fear of God in literally any team just because they have Luca and Kyrie and like this mosquito is going to bother the hell out of me. But yes, (laughs) when they have Luca and Kyrie and like, look, when you have those two, you're going to be involved in any series just because of the offensive threat, just because of what they can do. The question is always going to be the defensive side of the ball with that team, right? Mm -hmm. And Lively, what he did in college, what he kind of projects to be eventually is a really, really good defender, good rim roller, uh, rim runner, like just a guy who pairs really well with those two as your starting center. Is he there yet? Is he what he's going to be? Probably not. Like I, Mm -hmm. I, I'm high on Lively. I think he will eventually be really, really good but is eventually game 60 of this season. I don't know. I don't think that will be the case. Um, And I think that's like, yes, the next step is finding yourself a starting center that can legitimately play with these guys. I know the Capella thing. It just makes too much sense because they're ready to play in Yeka Kongwu. The Hawks are. uh, And I think there's, there's like, there's a reasonable trade to be made there. The other question is like, how healthy is Maxi Kleber going to look? Because I think the small ball unit with him at the five and Grant and maybe Josh Green or whatever, like that could look really well uh, offensively. And then the other thing is like, you know, we kind of talked about it off air before, but the Josh Green extension, it's like, hey, how is that going to look? Because he's going to be a really valuable part of this team on both ends. And yeah, I guess I'm curious to see what you think about that. But ultimately, I think like the starting center is where I would start. Uh, okay. despite my, my belief in lively. Right. Yeah. I, I think the lively situation is going to be very interesting to monitor on even just a game to game basis. And I think yeah. for any of the Mavs fans listening, even though we all have high hopes for this season, we got to enjoy the ride because <laughs> lively Omax, Hardy, it's a big year, even Josh green, like it's a big year yeah. for them, but these are young guys. And so there's gotta be an element or sort of this realistic expectation there but i think they're all really solid players but that kind and of hey, brings those, me to those are guys that like in a trade at some point will be exactly because yeah. there's a little bit of scuffle like some words out there about josh green and this extension and him maybe not being so happy or in, in terms of it not already happening or what that number is going to be i don't know that there's any merit to any of that i'm just saying what i've seen from time to time so right. i'm curious as to what happens with that situation? What if he's not starting? There was a brief minute where Omax might be starting. Now it might be Derek Jones Jr. because they want more size. What does that mean for Josh Green? And then with Jaden Hardy in the preseason, there was talk of 
there's high hopes for Jaden Hardy, but you still have Tim Hardaway Jr. on your roster. You have Seth Curry. Dante Exum looks like he's going to bring something to the table that they don't really have a lot of. Where does that leave Jaden Hardy? He might be fighting for minutes. And so you've got some really intriguing young players. You've got some first-round picks, some second-round picks. There are options out there. And so I think even with the Tim Hardaway Jr. contract and even the Maxi contract, um, Maxi's a solid player. But when you have Omax, a Derek Jones Jr., all that defense, but you still have the shooting with a Seth Curry and and Grant Williams, that kind of makes things a little easier for Maxi to potentially move him. And so I think that they're going to have a lot of options. And so far, Nico has given me no reason to doubt his moves. And so um, with the exception of maybe a few things from here and there, but as a whole, I think there's got to be some trust there. So I'm keeping an eye out for what kind of starts to build momentum. I was watching the Hawks preseason, watching Onyeko Okongwu, Jalen Johnson, and how good they looked. And I was watching Clint Capella on the side. And so, and he was sitting there on the bench. And so (laughs) I'm curious to see what happens there. I think that there's, I think quickly into the season, we could get some good lively moments, but then there might be some sort of, all right, we've got well, to take, we've got definitely going to be bumps. They're, like they, they are yeah. going to take the, like he's going to take his bumps. Omax is going to take his bumps. Even Josh green, despite like, I'm really high on him. Did that video yeah. with Grant in the summer. Like hey, he's going to be really good, but ultimately like, he is. um, yeah, the, these questions exist for Dallas. And you know what? Yeah. Like you, you mentioned Nico. I actually think they had a really good off season. Like, Oh I, yeah. Like I con- couldn't have been happier with the off season. For what they were uh, at the end of the year, missing the play-in, losing the spot, all that stuff, to like what they are now, that's I, I really do think they had about as good of an offseason as you can have with the flexibility that they were allowed to have. Um, I agree. And like, yeah, it's a, it's a tough needle to thread, especially with Luka and the competitiveness. But yeah, Mavs are really interesting. I think like, you know, I didn't mention, maybe I did mention them, but like in that West conundrum, they're also a yeah. team where it's like, hey, they could be incredible. They could be a three, four seed. Maybe if Luca and Kyrie are all, all NBA type players again this season, but at the same time, the defense could drop off a cliff. They could be 27th on D, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, right. I, I don't know. We'll see. It, that's, I, I, we'll I agree see. that that is definitely a burning question this season is how that all looks. Um, okay. My final question, it's Raptors related as well, since we're on Let's our quote unquote teams, um, when will the Raptors pull the plug? And I don't mean that in a, in a, in a brutal way. I just mean that mm-hmm. in the sense that it seems like they are just delaying the inevitable. There mm-hmm. is no Pascal Siakam contract in sight yet. Maybe mm-hmm. that happens at some point in this season, but ultimately I don't think that will happen. I'm mm-hmm. more confident in an OG Ananobi extension happening. Not mm-hmm. now because it wouldn't make sense. He'd get more money in the summer, but I am more confident in him re-signing. I'm more confident in a Gary Trent Jr. extension at some point, but the Pascal Domino is the one that's kind of on my mind the most. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think Darko Ryakovich, you know, it's obviously preseason, honeymoon phase, all that stuff, but the style that he's implemented has looked really good. They've you know, emphasize Scotty Barnes a lot more. I wrote about that earlier this week. They look much better when they try to emphasize him and, you know, have shooting around him that works well. They've added a couple of different shooters. Otto Porter Jr. is back. Grady Dick is coming into the lineup. So like there are ways that this could exist and kind of just let's see what happens this season. But at the same time, doing that with Pascal, who is an unrestricted free agent, like I've said this a million and one times that I'm just, I'm tired of even saying it. <laughs> He's an unrestricted free agent. He's, you know, going to get a lot of money in the summer. He is a trade chip, but you know, you've kind of delayed the inevitable and they've made this mistake already with Kyle Lowry, mm-hmm. with Fred yep. Van Vliet. Are you going to do it for a guy who's in his prime as an all NBA player? That's really tough to swallow. So I guess the question I have is when do you think they pull the plug on that situation? I do think it will be the trade deadline. I really do. Because not only you mentioned the the unrestricted free agency and their current guys and and kind of, I don't even want to say the youth movement, but what their core could be. But there be. is. There is definitely yeah. a little bit of There's youth movement. Yeah. yeah. And so when you look at the past with Kyle Lowry and even Fred Van Fleet and, and opportunities that were missed, I think that obviously is still on your mind if you're yeah. Maasai. You've got to have that in your mind, but also 
when you look at the current landscape, because we talk about timing being everything with what has kind of happened over the offseason, the Raptors once again are finding themselves in a prime position to have one of, if not the top guys on the trade market available. Yeah. And I think that that could really, I mean, I really do think that there could even be something there with Dallas. I think Dallas could really even try and say, all right, he's the type of guy that would come in and fit because who, and who knows what the future holds with Kyrie. To be and fair, so, like there is a history of the Mavericks saying, hey, we will take your unrestricted free agent that is going into mm -hmm. free agency. We will spend mm -hmm. a 2029 first round pick and Dorian Finney-Smith and all uh -huh. that stuff for Kyrie. And like, I'm not saying Kyrie and Pascal are equivalents, but whatever it was, whatever right. the pick was. Uh, but like, right. ultimately, there is a history there of them some risk willing mm -hmm. to kind of trade for a guy and under that circumstance you know what i mean yeah so i think i think dallas and pascal is definitely something interesting pascal is one of the few names that i could see dallas like truly having a chance and like hard pursuing and it being yeah. a timing and asset match um there's not a lot of those names out there and pascal is one of them that's coming up and so i think the raptors are going to find themselves in a position where there are several teams Atlanta is still going to be one of them, I presume, that could use a Pascal and and not just him as a player, but getting him under the pretense that you're going to get him on a long-term contract uh, in the offseason. And so I, I do think for, for Dallas, I think it could, or excuse me, for Toronto, I think they could find themselves in a really solid position to try and, I don't even want to say recoup assets because they didn't lose assets when it comes to Pascal. But, but, but just get something. It, yeah, um, it's yeah. sort of, pulling the plug, if you will, and just sort of kind of steering in this new direction where you've got some new assets, you're leaving this sort of era behind and right. you're start, you're continuing forward with these, this young core, you have the OG extension, you have the Gary Trent Jr. extension and just starting fresh. I think, especially when you have a new coach involved. So I think all of that is sort of teeing up nicely for the Raptors and it is ultimately going to be their best path forward. There, there's a bunch of teams that could go after Siakam. Um, and I think, yeah, there's, there's the, it's on varying scales. I would probably put the Hawks first in that because yeah. I think they're in a position with Trey and the new coach. And, you know, obviously they were going after him a lot this summer. Um, I think there's a trade to be had there. Now it depends, yeah. you know, who knows? What if, what if the Hawks start out 10 and, you know, like I said, what if they become a little bit more desperate 20 games into the True. season? That's a question to have. I think Indiana is a team that, is looking for that forward to pair with Ty Tyrese Halliburton, and he pairs really, really well next to him. Maybe in the summer, the Philadelphia 76ers, who have a max slot, who have another Cameroonian on the team, go after him. Obviously, Nick Nurse, there's history there. I don't think they're yeah. the best of friends, but yeah, there, there's a world <laughs> where that That's might happen. Um, the Another team that kind of pops up to me is the, is the Golden State Warriors. I mean, look, they have that Chris Paul contract that they could dangle. They have mm -hmm. some young guys, some interesting young guys that they can also include into trades. Pods seems like a really interesting young point guard. Uh, Jonathan Kaminga obviously is up there. Maybe something like that happens. The Dallas right. Mavericks is obviously another one that comes to mind. The Oklahoma City Thunder, even though they seem unlikely to do that because of their own, you know, kind of they like to go at their own pace with things. Mm -hmm. Seems like another team that could jump yeah, into. Yeah, only a matter of time till they do that. Right. Yeah. Um, the Sacramento Kings is an, is a team that jumps into kind of the sweepstakes here a little bit too. They were interested in OG Ananobi, but I think Pascal Siakam fits really, really well with that core as well if they decide to go that route. Um, so these are just like, I just listed seven teams that could potentially go after Pascal. And yeah. when you have a player who's an all NBA guy, regardless of the unrestricted free agency and where they're at throughout the course of a season, there is a little bit of pressure that's built for these mm -hmm. teams to potentially go out there and do it. Let's say the Hawks are teetering between playing and playoff spots and they feel confident in Trey and DeJounte and Quinn Snyder. They just need that final piece to get them to the fifth seed or the fourth seed. Um, maybe Pascal is that guy for them. Maybe Indiana yeah. is teetering between playing and playoff. And instead of being the eighth seed or the seventh seed, they're going to try to go out in there and be the sixth seed, right? Um, yeah. I think the same thing applies to some of these West Coast teams that I mentioned. So who knows? Like, there's a world where Pascal is traded. There's a world where Pascal is extended. There's a world where they go into the summer and just kind of see what their options are there. But ultimately, I do think we're nearing 
a point where it's like, when is this team going to eventually pull the plug and go towards that youth movement like you were mentioning? And that's it. We went through our five burning questions, ladies and gentlemen. Five burning questions each, which means 10 burning questions getting you ready for what should be an incredible regular season of basketball. We'll be back on Tuesday. You'll hear from us again on Tuesday, uh, talking all things NBA. We might do some award predictions. Maybe we'll get some fun on that side. Um, but yes, Lauren, anything before we head out? No, I, I can't wait for this season to kick off because there's just, there's so much, there's going to be so much going on. It's going to be madness. And I am just, I can't wait. Derek Lively season, baby. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for tapping into the Objective Basketball Podcast. As always, do the liking, subscribe, and keep this podcast alive for us. Thank you very much. And we will see you guys later. Take care. Follow house at just S. Barahini on all socials and at the Lauren Gun on Twitter. The Objective Basketball Podcast. Delivering the NBA to you like no other.